Trust Your Struggle is a, a place of inspiration. Uh, we have these conversations with individuals about their monumental struggles that they've had in their life, uh, what they've done to overcome them, how these struggles and what they've done have uh, kind of helped define who they are today. On this episode, we speak to Jeremy Hamilton, who from an early age had to learn to adapt to his surroundings. Growing up in the hood and then moving to Eugene, Oregon was like being in an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Having this new strict household built up a lot of suppressed anger and resentment, resulting in him running away from home and then starting over in Portland. Landing an internship at Nike opened up so many doors for his career, but he always kept an open mind to new opportunities. And Jeremy believes that you need to find what you're passionate about, these things that give you goosebumps, and put your energy and focus into that. Of course, uh, I'm Jeremy Hamilton. Matt, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out to even want to talk to me, man. It's like definitely an honor uh, just to be able to just converse. Um, you know, you're one of my homies from, you know, our time um, that we spent together working together and such. So, again, thank you so much for taking the time out to say what's Wait. up. So, it's, cheers to that, bro. Yeah, dude. Cheers, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank for you. Sure, for sure. So, uh, for me, um, I've been working – well, let's take a step back. So, I've uh, I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, most random place ever. Um, and so I grew up in a house full of women, um, and meaning <laughs> meaning my <laughs> meaning you know my my grandmother and my mom kind of co-parented me uh, just due to certain you know family situations and such that I've had to deal with um, in regards you know my father was just never there, and so. Uh, there was times, you know, my mom had to work, I had to stay with my grandmother or my grandmother might have gotten sick. Uh, you know, I had to go be with my mom and things like that. Right. And so, of course, um, one thing that, you know, stood with me or stuck with me rather was the love and support uh, that both my mom and my grandmother provided um, no matter what. So I'm in the house with me and my two other sisters um, and we all have separate dads just to be transparent. And so that was a that was a different situation just dealing with that uh for the fact that you know i had to figure out you know how do we how do i fit in to this like dynamic within my family so that was an immediate experience that i had but then also um i think as i got a little bit older just trying to figure out you know where is my dad and 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 that came up quite a bit but one of the things that i noticed you know as i got again as i got older is i realized that um my family kind of filled the void for that and so Really quick, uh, um, what's, uh, with, with your sisters, right? Where is your, what's the age difference? Where do you fit in with your sisters? Are they younger, older? Are you like right in between? No, nah, so I'm the youngest. Um, we're all about two and a half years apart. Um, I'm the youngest. So, of course, I was always getting beat up. Uh, By two older sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I was the youngest, but, uh, you know, they, they definitely – were hard on me out of love um, and always just looking out for me. Um, of course, I'm a younger you know, brother and whatnot, but I also had a sense of uh, just protectiveness about them as well. So I was very cognizant of that. Uh, they're my sisters and nobody's touching them or disrespecting them and things like that, you know, to the best of my abilities, trying to be the protector for them. Um, but yeah, just, just that dynamic of um, my father not being there and trying to understand you know, you know, like at a younger age, you're kind of like with how my mom and my grandparents uh, kind of filled the void. I know so I knew something was missing, but life was moving so fast that it was just like, okay, hey, this is kind of how life is. Right. And you just get you just get kind of numb to it. And uh, so um, just a long story short, you know, my mom, um, unfortunately, you know, she she had um, uh, took some, made some mistakes in life. And, and, and unfortunately picked up a, a, um, a drug habit. And um, I think, you know, she surrounded herself with the wrong people and kind of went down that path. And so my grandmother stepped in um, and just kind of took care of everything. My grandmother and my grandfather. So I don't want to leave my grandfather out. But the reason um, I'm mentioning my grandmother so much is because she, her and I just connected. Um, and I think it was more so just because she was always just really the person that held the family together, but just showed an extreme amount of love and compassion and so i just gravitated towards that and my grandmother my, and i had a bond and so from that um i'm now living like full-time with my 
my grandparents. And so, unfortunately, speeding up a little bit here is like when I was about from six and a half all the way up till I was about 11. Um, my grandmother ends up getting sick, really sick, terminally ill. And so um, she wanted to make sure that as she kind of had custody of me and my sisters at the time, and more so me, uh, that we were going to be taken care of. And so when she got sick, she reached out to my aunt and uncle um, who lived in Eugene, Oregon. So he's just kind of like, hey, you need to take in, you know, Jay and the kids just because Sam, my grandfather, is not going to be able to take care of these kids by himself. So um, she always had our best interests in mind. And as you can see, she kind of held the family together. So my, uh, my aunt and uncle, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer from them on their side, you know, after I talked to them about it. They just stepped in, came down from Oregon, um, and really just came and picked us up and brought us to Oregon. So just a quick, like, halt right there. Fort Wayne, Indiana is where I lived at was just straight hood, like, people <laughs> 100, right? It's just straight Yeah, hood. for sure. I and bet. So to, and so to move to Eugene, Oregon, where it's predominantly a white demographic, um, my aunt and uncle were, you know, they're pretty well off. So I, I was living, it, just think of like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's exactly what it was. Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly what it was, right? And you had the Uncle Phil too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, man. So I, I ended up moving in with my, my aunt and uncle. We're, you know, I'm in Oregon and it's just like culture shock. Everything's just like, what the heck is going on? And um, I had to adapt, right? And so from that... Um, you know, my aunt and uncle, they didn't have kids and they were well established in their careers. You know, they're like, they're 31 at this time and they're taking in three kids. So it was me and my two sisters Damn. that moved to Eugene, Oregon. And so um, it was amazing that they took us in and, and, and able to just, you know, be the protector. But the, here's the catch, right? So my aunt and uncle, they're both in law enforcement. And so for me to come from a very loving, and I'd say my aunt and uncle weren't loving, but a very like, your, you know how your grandmothers are, your grandparents are, right? They're always trying to look out for you. Uh, to come and they'll give you everything too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I moved into a household that was completely the opposite. Everything was the opposite when I moved to Oregon, right? So I'm in a strict household, predominantly living in a very like well-off like neighborhood with predominantly white folks that I honestly don't relate to. Um, and so I went through this period of just adaptation that I think took me about three and a half years. So I, I moved to Oregon when I'm in the, let's see, I moved to Oregon when I was in the fifth, the fifth grade. And so um, I went through this phase where very strict household, not really knowing what's going on. My grandmother passing away. My mom's not around. My dad's not around. My aunt and uncle are trying to play mom and dad. So I'm just kind of like, like, what is going on? And my sisters are going through the same thing as well. So I don't want to like leave them out. But for me, I was just trying to figure myself out and my, you know, I'm starting to develop my own sense of self as a young man. And I just had like a rebel phase where I was getting fights so much just cause a lot of, I, you know, what I've learned now is just a lot of suppressed anger that I had inside of me. So I'm starting to get in right. fights and stuff and just not getting along with my aunt and uncle and my sisters and I are starting to bicker more. So one summer, my, um, my uncle like grounds me uh, quite honestly for the summer. It just, I, I wasn't getting good grades. You know, if I get a C, he's down my throat on my report card. Like, he's just down my throat about that. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on? It's a super strict household. So I, he ends up putting me in. They end up making the decision to put me in private school in my eighth grade year. So I go into private school, totally just predominantly white. And I'm not trying to bash white people, but you just got to understand where the <laughs> neighborhood that I come from. For sure, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to, like, adapt and understand, like, how do I fit in, like, socially and all this like stuff. culture shock. Yeah, sure. absolutely, man. So this is the, the reason I'm la laboring on this topic so much is because this is, like, the roots that sets me up to propel um, into other opportunities and whatnot. So uh, basically going to private school, just that was just, like, I've never experienced anything like that. It was a very strict schedule, very strict regimen, um, and just – trying to figure out my way through the world. And then I come out of that, I think a little bit more refined is what it did. Um, and, and my aunt uncle knew that. So um, I start to mature more emotionally, start to figure myself out. And so I go into high school. Um, I'll just skip through high school. Like high school was great. Uh, I, you know, it was weird because I lived in one part. I actually lived in Springfield, Oregon, my first two years of high school. And then my aunt and uncle had got a house built because it was just, we're all growing kids. So like, we need to have more space. 
So they build a house in this new development in Eugene. So I immediately have to switch um, school districts. And so I can't keep going to Springfield High School. So I have to go to Sheldon High School. So I go to Sheldon and like Springfield and Sheldon are completely opposite. So Springfield High School is like the ghetto high school. And then Sheldon's like preppy. Like I drive my parents' Volvo, brand new Volvo or whatever, the class. So I had to switch friends. Like I had made a whole new uh, set of friends, also made... Had to switch basketball teams. That was tough. Sports uh, and just figuring out how to fit in and everything like that. So ended Hold up. up. Uh, yeah. What what grade was this in that you switched schools? So yeah. So I switched schools uh, my junior year. So my the beginning of my junior year, I started going to Sheldon. So you were um, almost you were like halfway through your high school. Yeah, halfway through my high school career and like. Um, I was just getting my, my, you know, my feet under me and I had aspirations to go back home and go play at the university of Michigan, at, uh, for basketball. And so I started, you know, taking my summers very serious, my, my sophomore year. And so from that, um, I'm just like developing my body starting to develop. There's some awesome pictures that my aunt and uncle had shared with me before high school that are even actually kind of right in the middle of middle school. I was a real chubby kid when I first moved in with him. So they like changed everything. I was no longer eating snacks, eating bad food, eating late. I'm starting to eat wheat bread, uh, wheat thins, chicken, fish, like totally different diet. And so I'm like looking night and day, like my body's developing more. And so I'm starting to take like my like athleticism and sports and stuff more serious. And even in high school, I wasn't a very like social guy, like partying and dating girls. I was never doing that. I was always, it was like books and sports and hanging out with couple of my really really close guy friends and like going to church and stuff right so that was like my high school career and um i switched schools my junior year and i remember i had a job at Foot Locker one summer not one summer my sophomore the junior the year between my sophomore year and my junior year had a job at Foot Locker and one of my uh my buddies that went to springfield way came in he was like yo where have you been i heard you're switching schools you haven't been coming to um some of the summer camps we've been having I was like, yeah, man, I got to go to Sheldon and da-da-da-da-da. And he's just like, hey, uh, I'm hearing that some scouts from UW and a few other schools are starting to, like, pay attention to you, man. Like, a couple guys that showed up in um, uh, to some of the summer leagues that we were having and, and asking coach about you. And where he got this information, I will never – I still don't know to this day. But me switching schools kind of – I had to, like, start over when I went to this new school because I, I was playing varsity, right? So, like, I'm a junior now, so I got to play varsity. So – I was coming in behind guys who were already established, no matter how good I was. And I knew that when I was switching schools, I knew I was better than these kids. Like, especially when we were having our, um, our, our summer ball, our summer hoops, I was killing these cats, right? And so a part of it is, you know, their parents are donating money to the booster club. and Yeah, so they're on it. And all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't really start starting until the end of my junior year and then all of my senior year. And so... By then, like, my confidence was just crushed. I'm not even going to lie. Like, you know, I'm, I, I was, my confidence was crushed. I'm just, like, I'm killing these guys in practice and all this stuff, but Coach won't give me burn time and all this other stuff. Um, I did have – I ran into another issue with my uncle where I got another C- minus on my report card the beginning of uh, my junior year. So he snatched me off the basketball team. He's my, – my, my uncle and my aunt were very, very – strict out of love to make sure that I was flying high and tight. Like they wanted to make sure that I was doing what I needed to do to be a successful young man in this world. And I loved him for that, but I hated him for that at the same time during the times that I got snatched. Right. And so I got pulled off the basketball team, super embarrassing moment for me in high school. Um, everybody knew that I should have been starting and playing. And, uh, and so I was going through that. And then I started to build some resentment with my, my aunt and uncle because of that. So, yeah, um, I'm just feeling like I'm starting to figure out who I am uh, and what I want to some degree. Um, granted, I'm like, what, a 17-year-old? I'm making all kinds of, you know, silly mistakes, uh, nothing major, just lying about dumb stuff or whatever it may be. Um, and so I'm starting, you know, just really coming to my own and the basketball thing um, when my uncle had snatched me from the basketball team because I got like a C minus, I think it was in my chemistry classes, but I think it happened. 
And he sent me to the basketball team. And that was like my safe haven and where I felt, you know, I could go and, 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 and really exert energy and focus and kind of my escape from my world of what I felt like I was dealing with at the time, whether I was right or wrong. It's just what I felt. And so, and again, he did that out of love. Like I, I look back on that now and he totally did that out of love, you know, but when he stashed me off the basketball team, that really hurt me. And it was yeah, he was looking out. Yeah. He, he wanted out. academics and, and you to do your athletics at the same time. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But my coach is looking at me like, you're eligible. Like, why, why are we having this conversation right now? Like, why are you not playing? Like, why are your parents being so strict? So that was like, you know, I was kind of the talk of the school, the school year, to be honest. Uh, and just especially within my social group. So, you know, that summer going into my senior year was just a very frustrating summer for me. And I went through like a lot of resentment and these emotions start coming back again. I, you know, I'm going through this emotional roller coaster, all this stuff. So, um, let's see, I moved into my senior year, high school, and I'm just cruising. I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling like, I'm, I don't know if I felt I was being like depressed or whatever it may be. So I ended up going through high school, graduating, and I make a decision after graduation night that, all right, I'm not going anywhere to play basketball. That ship has kind of sailed for me. Um, I'm not going to get recruited and all this stuff. And so I made the decision that I no longer want to live with my uncle. And this is where my life changes in like a night. So I remember we had our high school graduation party. It was like an all-night party. Um, it was at the DAC, Downtown Athletic Club in Eugene. And so I remember just hanging out. I was telling one of my homeboys, I was like, Zach, like, I'm about to move to Portland. And so just to kind of give some context, um, I was like really going to church a lot at the time. And so one of my, probably my best friend at the time, Eric, his parents were going to the same church and they were um, associate pastors at this church that I was going to called ECF. And so then they ended up going to start a church in Portland. So Eric and I stayed in touch. And I was, my whole high school career, I'm telling them everything I'm going through. And so um, he's like, dude, you need to get out of there. Like, it doesn't seem like you're in a healthy situation. He doesn't have all the context because me, of course, I'm telling it from my point of view, right? So he's going to be my friend and be there for me. And he's like, I'll talk to my parents. You can just come live up here with us and just get you out of there. Just get you to Portland and get you around, like, more multicultural setting. And just it's a better look than Eugene. And so – I'm like telling my boy Zach at the high school graduation party, like, Zach, I'm going to move out of my aunt uncle's house and I'm going to kind of sneak out and I'm going to basically run away. And so, what year was this? This was uh, 1999, the okay. summer of 1999. So, I, I remember my high school graduation party was on a Friday and Saturday I was all, I was quiet. I didn't really interact with a lot of people at the house. Saturday night, I remember I packed all of my bags, I took them out back and I hid them in the bushes. And I wrote a letter to my uncle just kind of explaining why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I got up at like six in the morning on Sunday morning. And my friend Eric had drove down. Uh, he drove down to come get me and from Portland. And I remember carrying my bags to the church uh, that was down the street. And he met me there. And I went to Portland. And I never came back. And so I think about like three or four weeks later, my uncle finally figures out where I'm at because people are going to talk or whatever. Like so, I, I he's like so. I see you decided you wanted to make your own move as a man, and I was like, yeah, I just felt like this is the best thing for me to do. And so um, from there, it's one of the most amazing blessings that ever happened to me. So I'm living with my boy Eric for like a year and a half or so, and then I'm like, all right, I got to kind of move out and be my own man. So I have had this career working at Foot Locker all the way through high school and up till now. And so I got a job at the Foot Locker in Portland. Start making my own money, um, decide to get a roommate, and uh, just a guy I met up in Portland I was just playing basketball with, and we just kicked it off, hit it off. Who, homie Will, Will Hill, I'll never forget him. He was funny as hell, but uh, he was a good hooper. So we just clicked, and uh, we ended up getting um, an apartment together. And so then I ended up getting a girlfriend. And so um, I'm dating this girl, and then uh, and I remember her mom kind of pulled me to the side and was like. So I know that you like really like my daughter and everything, but like, so what are you going to do when she goes to college? And like, what are you doing? It really sparked off like a conversation about college. And so she's like, cause I wasn't going to school at the time. I'm thinking I just got to make money just to survive and 
pay my rent and all this stuff, right? You got to sell shoes, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, so she's like, uh, she's like, what are you doing um, with yourself, basically? And it, I, I'd never been asked that question, really, right, out of, like, high school. So, basically, it boils down to you're not going to date my daughter if you're not going to school. And so she decides that, fair enough, she's going to put me, she's like, what I'm going to do is, if you really are serious with my daughter, I'm going to pay for your first trimester of, your first, yeah, first trimester of Portland Community College. And if you like it, we'll figure out a way that I can help you pay for this, but you're going to pay some of it as well. And we'll just try to figure out, you know, get you to Portland State, just take some prerequisites, see how it is. So. Damn, who does that? Yeah, right. So that conversation led to me going to class, taking my prerequisites. I'm like, I actually like school. So she ends up figuring out how to help me pay for like my first year of community college. And then I just never looked back. So I put myself through school and just took out loans, paying that stuff off, whatever, go to Portland State, got a business degree. Um, it's a, uh, you know, a major, or sorry, minor is uh, focused more so on human-computer interaction. So just understanding how to use computer software to solve uh, business um, issues and problems and all that other stuff, right? So um, it was an amazing experience, man. That was like a blessing, right? And so from there, um, I then, or like going to, I transferred to uh, Portland State University. I meet a ton of people. This is like, Social Jeremy comes out. I meet a ton of people, make a lot of friends. Uh, some with the right, a lot with the right crowd. Some with the wrong crowd. I figured that out real quickly. Got rid of those friends. Um, and I like, I think my career at Nike took off from there. So I get this amazing internship. So when I was working at Foot Locker, they have like these uh, these reps. They call them Eakin reps. So anyone that knows like Nike, Eakin spelled is Nike spelled backwards. So the whole idea is that. These representatives know Nike inside and out is why that is what it is, right? So from there, um, basically, this guy introduces me to some Nike people, and I make some great relationships. I get an amazing, amazing internship opportunity. Um, that then leads me into this world of just this creative world and understanding how to build product and understand how to tell stories and marketing and product marketing and all this stuff and being around just world-class professionals who are just super creative and all that. And, uh, Hold up! Before we get into your your Nike uh, experience, really quick, I just want to let anyone know who's listening or watching that currently, right now, Jeremy's living in San Diego, but he's still rocking a beanie, so he's repping Portland right now, even though he's yeah, in San man. Diego. That Portland doesn't yeah. leave, right? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm actually trying to hide my my bald head. Like I don't want to. It's probably going to be super shining if I didn't have this thing on, so I don't want to... No, you're crying. always going to rock the Portland look, man. <laughs> like, you can't get away from it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not a lie. That's, that is no lie. <laughs> like, still to this day, you're still rocking the Portland look, so... Yeah, man. Anyways, it's, it's yeah, a, it, it is. It is part of you, for sure. So, yeah, get into the whole Nike, your internship at Nike, man. Oh, man. It's uh, it's amazing, and I and I made... I think it was more than the work and being exposed to the work. It was more of the people and the mindset of the people. Um, and one of the people that I met, uh, there's two people that I met that things that they've said to me during my internship stuck with me always. So one thing that like this guy named Jeff Henderson, he's a designer, world-class designer guy. I remember one thing he told me was here at Nike or anywhere you go, just because you're, you know, at the time I was finishing up school, right? It was like my senior year of school. So, um, we're fast forwarded. This is like 2008. So he's kind of like, um, he goes, you know, one thing is use this place as your school. So don't come here thinking of work. Use this place as your playground and your sandbox for you to figure out where you want to go um, in your career. Because, you know, obviously Nike is a, you know, a global company. So there's all kinds of opportunities um, in business units you can get involved with or whatever. But use this place. Learn on Nike's dime. Go ask questions. Do an informational interviews. Do stretch assignments. Like use this place because the opportunity is there. But it's only going to be there if you take it and grab it and run with it, right? So that always stuck with me. Um, and then I met, uh, obviously, we, you and I have talked about this, but uh, Julian Duncan, he's one of the most amazing people that I, I've ever met. For sure. Quite honestly. Yeah. Just, a, just as a person. Not even his, like, profession and what he's done over his career, which is crazy where he's at right now. But just as a person and as a black 
male figure that I could honestly look up to and really try to fine tune and hone my game based off of the success stories that he has as a person and as a professional. And so um, there wasn't any one particular thing he's ever said to me that just stuck with me. But I think to see his consistency to always elevate and he always had this phrase, which, you know, he was part of the helping out with like LeBron James business unit. And um, they always had this phrase with LeBron, you know, this mantra with uh, chasing greatness. And so it's always trying to elevate your game um, and always have something you're trying to strive for. So like just seeing how his career has evolved, even him, you know, he has a beautiful family now um, and just how, how he is. is it, it's amazing. Um, and there's a ton of other people that are, you know, like him that I've witnessed, but I, I gravitated towards him and really built a relationship with him. And so he's somebody that um, I look up to. And Jeff is an amazing person as well. I stay in touch with him as well. Um, he's someone that, you know, I, I, I definitely look to as a mentor and a, and a, and a, um, a male figure that, you know, I, I really value what they become as men. And so I'm going through these amazing experiences where I'm working on global product. We're rolling out my, the team I'm involved in are rolling out some amazing stuff. And my, the group that I worked in was men's training global footwear, uh, with Nike football specifically. So they were trying to elevate, uh, Nike's presence in the football realm. And so we were doing everything from going to visit these amazing athletes to getting insights from, you know, retail to just understanding the ecosystem of the high school athlete, uh, who's a football player, but you know, not only on field performance, but then off field stuff. So it was like an amazing experience to, understand how to build product around that but then how to what is the go-to-market strategy for that so that was like super eye-opening and working with agency partners who help tell the story and all this stuff so you can only imagine what that is like working at night that's a dope experience yeah it's such an amazing experience right so the best thing about that is uh i remember one day um the one of the managers of the intern class she pulls me into um her office she goes, hey, I want you to look at some numbers. So she goes, uh, for the intern class that you were involved in, sorry, I was picking something up. Uh, she goes, the intern class that you were involved in, there were 24,000 applicants worldwide that applied this summer. And I want Damn. you to understand that 122 were chosen. And you were one of the 122. So what I'm telling, the reason I'm telling you this is because you have what it takes. You were chosen for a reason. And you need to take this opportunity, you need to run with it. And so from that point on, I took nothing for granted. Um, I made sure that every relationship that I built, I stayed in touch. Uh, it, it, was just, it was just an unbelievable experience. Now, the downside to all of this, right, they're pretty much setting me up. I'm getting ready to graduate. They're pretty much setting me up to take on the actual role that I'm interning for. So, like, the opportunity was right there. Fortunately... This is in the summer of like 2008, moving into 2009, the economy, the crash. Yeah. So they, had, they didn't have a headcount to bring me on and all this other stuff. So, but the experience was there, right? And so from there, um, I had to seek out opportunities and I tapped into, uh, I tapped into the agency network that Nike had and those relationships that I built over time. And so from there, man, I, I just really just stayed in the agency lane uh, just because of, um, I, I believe agencies force you to activate left and right brain. So you kind of have like this very analytical side, but you also have this oh. super crazy creative side. So yep. you kind of have to act as a chameleon in the agency space. Um, you got to act quick on your feet. And so that tailored to my personality. Every, you look at everything I've been through in life, I'm pivoting left and right, adjusting, being a chameleon. All that tailors into the skill set that I need to survive in the agency world. And so, you know, around this is perfect timing around 2008, 2009. Digital takes off, and uh, I move into you know just like digital project manager lane, um, and that that hasn't looked. I haven't looked back since. The opportunities have just exploded for me, and just by having Nike on my resume has opened so many doors to have conversations with people, and for sure. um, right. So that's my. I'll pause in the professional thing, the family thing, right? So I'm sure you're probably wondering like. Where's your family at? Like, where's your sisters and everything else at, right? Life is moving at blazing speed at this point for me. And unfortunately, I have lost contact with, not contact, because I talk to them and go home occasionally for like Christmas and holidays and text and call occasionally and stuff like that. But I think I was just figuring out who I was as a man. This was like a mission of mine to like, you know, Jeremy, who are you? Like, what's your purpose in life? And 
what are you trying to achieve? And so for me, unfortunately, the, the, the unfortunate sacrifice of that was family. And I, and I'll take the blame for it for sure. But I kind of separated myself because I remember the pain that, and the hurt and the frustration and the confusion I was going through um, moving to Oregon and then in dealing with all of the stuff I dealt with as through middle school and high school, I just didn't like the taste of that. And so for me, I decided to just separate myself from it. And it was wrong. Now that I look back on it now and the conversations I have with some family members now is just wasn't the right thing to do. But I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out my life and stuff like that. And so at the um, time, though, like it's kind of all you had to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I truly believe now that nothing should come in the way of me staying connected and being bonded with my family. Like, I learned yeah. that now. That, that's a real lesson that I learned because that's the backbone when all else is done, especially what I've seen in the professional realm where you can swear someone has the most amazing job and is locked and loaded, and then in like a week later they get laid off, right? And so it's like, what's the fallback plan when things start to fall apart in life and your professional career? you should probably have the backbone of your, your family being the backbone and the support system. And so, you know, I've been blessed enough in life that my family has always loved me enough to never uh, uh, send me to exile. Right. Uh, yeah. Do you think they kind of understood what you were going through? Um, yeah, I think they understood, but I don't think they looked at it as a reason for me to separate myself. Of course. Yeah. You're right. And so, I did it out of ignorance and, 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 and just immaturity of like frustration and stuff like that. And so, um, I, so I'm back to my professional career, man. I'm like blazing, like I'm moving fast. Like things are opportunities are popping up. I'm, you know, understanding how to perform at a very like high level, uh, with project management, um, especially in the digital space. Uh, I get this amazing opportunity where, I go live over in Germany, Hanover, Germany, for like six months. Um, I basically got a job with this e-com company, and we're putting a strategy together of how we're going to spin up a uh, business in the U.S. with the e-com business for this company. And so I'm over here working with Europeans, specifically Germans, trying to like, you know, their style of work is completely different from how America and how they market to people in Europe is completely different how they market to people in America. So trying to pitch to the board members of like, this is how... This is what the ecosystem looks like when we're tailoring to the American consumer, right? So putting that whole story together and working with my counterparts, right? And it's just culture shock again, living in like Europe <laughs> and Germany. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, and I hope the consistency that we're seeing here is that life has its twists and turns and changes and you got to adapt to them. And so that's what I've learned, um, a, a skill set that I feel that I've almost mastered to this point now, right? And that's just because of the fire that I've had to go through or whatever. But uh, I think you learned that at an early age, too, which allowed you to do that later on in your life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. At a very early age, I, I definitely learned that. Um, I think you, you kind of feel the heat at an earlier age, but you learn how to take the, the learnings and apply that to your life. Like applied science, right? Like you figure out how to adapt and apply that to life. Um, at a, you know, and you get turned a little bit older or whatever. And you just, I guess you just call it maturity, right? So I go live in Europe, man, and um, I'm, like, making amazing friends and learning all kinds of stuff, learning a little bit of Deutsch. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, like, everything. And so then I um, had an amazing experience. I went on vacation when I was kind of – when I was done over there, I went on vacation in Barcelona. That was the craziest thing ever because it's, like, the food, the, the culture, the they embrace everyone and the love and, like, the people are so beautiful, like everyone, like it was just amazing over there. And um, I haven't been back since that was like 2010 when I went, but I haven't been back since. So I come back. Um, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. So I'm on the plane going to Germany, tarmac in Portland. The plane shuts down. We were not taking off. We're in the tarmac for like two hours. So I this guy sitting next to me. We're just chatting. He's like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm Dave. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Jeremy, whatever. And. He's like, uh, so what's up? Were you, you going over to Germany? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like, this guy's like pretty well off. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go pick up my Porsche um, from the Porsche like factory because I'm going to drive it there because the tariffs, when you have put miles on it, it's classified as like a used car. So the tariffs are cheaper when you import it. Right. So I was like, yeah, I got a. Well, I was like, I'm not doing that, but I got, like 
I was like, I got a pretty amazing opportunity, man. I'm going to work for this company. And um, we started talking and talking. And he, then we, you know, the, the flight over there, we're talking the whole time. And uh, we fly into Amsterdam. And um, he had to take a separate flight where he was going. Uh, and he's like, let's stay in touch. Like, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear how things map out. So three years later, this guy ends up reaching out. He's like, hey, I have this awesome opportunity for you if you're interested. I think it'd be a great fit. Um, it's really, I, I run my own web shop. I basically have this proprietary like product that I pitch or that I sell in sports teams. And I'm trying to sell in the sports teams. And it's basically to help monetize engagement with fans. So tickets, games, whatever. So he's like, I think you'd be perfect because you already have relationships in the sports realm and with a lot of sports teams. So I'd love to like leverage your relationships and I'd love for you, you know, to be essentially the product owner of this proprietary product that I built and go pitch this. So I take the job. I'm like, duh, makes perfect sense. And from there, I meet like almost every NBA team. I have a door in to have a conversation. I built with these relationships because of that. So that was like amazing. So I did that for like two years, traveling all over the place. Um, and it's, it's just like these like, not to keep harping, like doing like talking about my resume, but it's just the amazing, <laughs> it's amazing what life has led me through because of A, my persistence, um, the faith that I, the jump and the faith that I took in myself. And there were times where I didn't really believe in myself, but others believed in me and pushed me to go. Um, and my determination, uh, I, I think, really, really put me in a position to see these opportunities and take advantage of these opportunities. Because if I never jumped, if I, I firmly believe if I never ran away from my aunt and uncle's house, if I never went to college, if I never took these jobs or went and saw opportunities um, and avenues that perhaps I, other people may have not gone or experienced, um, I don't know if I would have had these doors open for me and these amazing yeah. life experiences that I could speak to, man. Well, that's exactly so. the point. It's like you, you uh, left those opportunities open, you know, you left uh, that space for the, for those things to happen. Like you weren't shut off by it whatsoever. Like yeah. if you were shut off, none of that shit would have happened. And, and who knows where you would have been, but because of where you, your mindset was that of like, all right, I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of led you to the space of like leaving the doors open. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, not the biggest guy to, like I, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I, I have a few people that I stay in touch with just from a mentorship standpoint. And, um, and, you know, we always talk and I always give them and, you know, what's going on with my career and my life and family and stuff. And, you know, one thing that always resounds is, is resounding and they keep repeating to me is don't burn any bridges right for sure as basic as that is it's 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 so important it's super duper important um to keep these 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 channels of communication open and not so much from a selfish standpoint of okay when i need something i'm gonna ping you or hit you up or yeah this, it was never for that i think it was because i have learned the importance of community i've learned the importance of family I've learned the importance of teamwork and being in a space where you have individuals who are extremely talented, who are very loving, who are very caring, who have your best interest in mind, where you contribute to this circle of friends and trust. Um, there's this synergy there that's undeniable. And I've always relished the opportunity to work within like a team environment because one of the things that I like the most about, especially from a professional standpoint, is I'm not good at everything, but I know what I'm good at. But I also know that if we have an objective as a team, how I contribute to that end goal, but then how I should hold the other team members accountable because of their skill set and how they contribute to that end goal as well. And so I've always relished that opportunity to work in a very talented team environment. And, you know, that old like saying of, you know, uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. Right. And so <laughs> I, I, I love that. Right. Like I, I always want to put myself in a position um, where I'm driving value, first of all, because I never want to be that guy that's like standing in front of the class, a group project, we got an A on it, but I stood there as if I contributed to that when I really did it. I never want to be that guy, and I've never been that guy. 
Um, but I also want to be that guy that's soaking up, you know, a shit ton of uh, uh, information and new perspectives from people because I feel like that's what life is all about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. So if you were, um, with everything that you've gone through, um, all of your experiences and stuff, if you were to go back to your old self, like early 20s or something like that, like oh, what, what did, right? Like what advice would you give yourself? Uh, the very first thing I would tell myself is financial literacy. Damn. Understanding. Because I look at stocks now. So here's, (laughs) so I talked to my homeboy about this. So I remember when I got my first retail job, sorry, my first retail job out of high school outside of Foot Locker was with Nike. So I worked at Nike retail my freshman year in college. At, when I was in Portland, I remember when Nike Town was off of Fifth and Salmon, and so I remember when I signed up for my benefits and everything, they had stock options for employees, and so this was like two thousand and two, two thousand three, and so um, stock at the time, Nike stock at the time was fourteen dollars a share. So I remember, oh, yeah. so I remember, so I remember, I, I remember I was talking to the HR person. I'm like, what are stocks? Like, I don't even know what stocks are. I'm like 22 at the time. I, ain't, I didn't really know what stocks are. Right. And so um, she's like, oh yeah, these are just like, you become like, just think of yourself as like a partial owner of the company. Like you get a piece of the company, like literally. And so I'm like, I didn't really understand that. We never, I never really dove in and got curious and was a sponge to like, all right, I'm going to soak this up and like really understand it. So long story short, I set it up where I was contributing like $30 a paycheck to just purchase Nike stock. So I look at, so what I ended up doing, I had like a family, <laughs> my friends kill me every time I tell them the story. I had a family emergency. So I sold my stock. I think I came out with like $600 at the time I sold all my stocks. I was just buying like, I don't know, like two or three shares of paycheck or something. And so uh, I had a family emergency, and I was like, all right, I need to pull this money out because I need it. I'm broke. I got to go fly home for some stuff. I think it was uh, – I, I forgot what the emergency was, actually. There was something that happened. I took the money out, and I told myself, I was like, I'm going to put the money back because I, I think this is a good thing, right? And, I, and life just took legs of its own, and, it, it, uh, and uh, I never put the money back. Like, I got distracted and got whatever, and I never put the money back up. So I looked at Nike stock now, right? I'm not even going to get into the numbers, but if you understood purchasing Nike stock at $14 a share and looking at where it's at now, yeah, I, I, I think you know what that's about. So um, I'm definitely kicking myself for that. Uh, but just understanding everything from building credit to uh, 401k to um, balancing much. I remember kids would probably kids would probably go have overdraft fees if they understood what we had to do back when I was in high school. When you get a checkbook and you had a balancing sheet on the back of the checkbook. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So I feel like that was my introduction to like my uncle. I remember he took me to Ulano Credit Union and was like, okay, you got a checking account now. Here's your checkbook. This is how you balance checkbook. And he never, like, we never really dove in or I never really owned it and dove in. And um, I just stopped writing checks because I was like balancing checks and stuff. I wasn't like balancing it right. And there was no internet like portal like a sign into to like, oh, okay, I only have eight dollars left. Like you really had to balance the checkbooks in the back of the check. Right, right so, yeah. Financial literacy uh would be number one. Uh number two, what would I tell myself? Um, number two would have to be believe in yourself. Like I, I was so insecure. Yeah, I was so insecure, I think, in high That's school. That's surprising. Yeah, like, I was super insecure, but I, I never showed it. Like, I was always, you know, like, one of the athlete guys that alpha male type of mentality or whatever. Not that I was, like, better than anyone. It's just the competitive edge you have, you know, when you're competing and playing sports and stuff like that. You got to hold this edge and stuff. So I, I definitely internally was uh, suppressing a lot of, like, insecurity I had. So I think it's just believing in myself. I think there was one summer that I was just, when I transferred to Sheldon, I was like, why are these kids like starting over me? And I, I'm killing these kids. Like 
summer pickup, like practices, I'm killing these kids. And my confidence got shot when it came like game time for like, I'm like, why are these? But you know, there was politics involved and all this other stuff, reason why I wasn't playing, how I should have been playing or whatever. So, but just believing in myself, not just for athletics, but just as a person and as a man, um, that I could get through anything and like anything I put my mind to is what I've kind of learned. Um, don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not capable of doing something or saying that you're not going to be shit. Cause I was told that a couple times. Um, wow. and it's, it, it, it's, you know, and it, it shook me up a little bit, but I think when I got on my own, I was just like, regardless of what anyone says, I still got to go do what I got to do to take care of myself. So I think, um, and I think also the other thing is, uh, embracing family more. Um, even I, though, yeah. you know, I have some unfavorable shifts in my family and my life. I think it's family's everything, man. Don't ever, don't ever, not that I was ever disloyal or anything like that. I think it's just don't ever separate yourself from family. That, that shit just doesn't work out in the long haul. Like it just, you miss so many opportunities and memories you could create and bonds you could create with family members and stuff. So I think if, if I were, um, to just share anything with anyone, I, you know, for me, it's, I think it's, uh, find what you're like passionate and like love about, yourself and the things that give you goosebumps those are the things that you need to pursue in life and those are the things that you need to put all your energy and focus into 100 percent. Uh, and so a lot of like i think as i was kind of maturing and going through my phase of maturation if you want to call it that is i found myself focusing on like titles jobs things that other people viewed as like ideas of success and while i've you know get, obviously attained some great experiences and things that help me grow as a person or whatever it is you know a couple times i found myself like i'm not really passionate about what i'm doing right now or what's going on so for me it's like do things that at an early age that give you good like if it does not give you goosebumps don't invest too much time into it yeah go experience things and go get some amazing experiences but I think the ultimate outcome out of that is you should have an idea of what you like and ultimately what you love. And I think when you find out what you like and what you love and it ultimately gives you goosebumps, you, you're almost willing to die for that. And when you do that, when you're in that type of space, your output, your the fruits of your labor, the blessings and benefits of that are like tenfold. And it doesn't feel like work. It feels like a passion. It feels like love. And you put your all into it and you start developing this monster and it's a beautiful monster because now you're in this space where you fine-tune your craft because of repetition and dedication people are starting to realize that you're an expert now or you know like a subject matter expert or professional or whatever it may be and now they want to pay you because you're doing something that you're passionate about and the fruits of your labor are conveying that so that would be my advice you know from a professional standpoint i think from a personal standpoint uh socially with family and stuff is um, a, don't hang out with the dead weight people that don't drive value or have the same vision and perspective as you are. And it doesn't mean that they're not good people because they don't have the same vision as you. They just don't fit your life's plan and where you're trying to strive to. So don't, you know, surround yourself with people that aren't a part of that and, and fulfill, help you fulfill that. Um, and I think the other thing too, again, I just want to harp on like the family side of things is, um, right. Like definitely embrace your family. That that's 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 a big one. That's a huge one for sure. Um, and I think about like when you talk about the the passion side, right? Like doing what you love, finding that passion and, and like running with it. Um, not everyone knows what that is, or yeah. they haven't discovered that yet. So like, mm -hmm. allow yourself to create some time mm -hmm. to experiment and and explore like what that might be because. You, you might have a general idea, but you don't know exactly like what that is. So uh, back to your story is like, keep those opportunities open and, mm -hmm. and, and see where that goes and, and find your, find your lane, if, yeah. if you will, you know, like, because not, some people are like, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Or so at that time, like, you know, just think about what, what gets those goosebumps and and figure out like where where you can do that at you know yeah yeah you're only gonna you're only gonna find i mean there was the lucky few that just 
come out of the wound and they like, yeah, I know that I want to be a, uh, a very human. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. I, I think, I think some people, um, what, where you're going to find these passions or these things about life that you really like is going to make mistakes and going to experience life and taking chances. Um, and always have a vision or an idea of like, I like vanilla ice cream. So I'm only going to go to shops that sell vanilla ice cream. Right. So like figure out what kind of, is it French vanilla? What it, like, what kind of ice cream is it you like or whatever? Right. So it's like, go put yourself in a space that you feel as if uh, it's going to put you in the best position um, to see what you like and do what you like, whether that's traveling or sports or being a chef or whatever it may be. Right. Like, so it's like, make sure you put yourself in a space that, you you have an idea that that's probably going to lead to where I like and take some chances and go experience new things um, and, 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 and be open to that, be open to that change and that little bit of friction um, or unfamiliarity when you do that as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, dude, thanks so much for meeting up and, and sitting down talking about this. It was awesome. I had a lot of fun. So it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyone watching or listening, if they want to follow you and, and keep up with what you have going on, do you want to give a shout out to any of your social channels or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my Instagram uh, is ham on the gram. So it's H-A-M-O-N-D-A-G-R-A-M. Um, and uh, LinkedIn, Jeremy Hamilton, San Diego. Um, those are the two that you know I, I'm, I'm most active cool. on. Uh, awesome. and happy to reconnect with whoever and have some good conversation and see if there's synergy there to whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like you might have a lot of people reaching out to you after this. So. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it was good, man. Thank you so much. That was really, really I had a good time. It was great. Absolutely, man. Thank you for the time. It was a pleasure to see you, Matt. Yeah, definitely. All right, dude. All right, man. I'll let you later. Peace.